Good morning, everyone. For those of you who want to read along, the plain Bible, it is on page 724, and for the more embellished front, it's 1,027. So that's Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. And the first section is titled, The Birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This is the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men in whom his his favour rests. When the angels left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you. Um, Let's pray, shall we, as we uh, come to think about God's word. Heavenly Father, we uh, want to thank you so much for this uh, very familiar passage of scripture and uh, we pray tonight, today, that we would be able to look at it with uh, fresh eyes and Father, that uh, by your spirit that you would be revealing uh, fresh truths to us and helping us to uh, understand more of who Jesus is and the rightful response to him. And we pray these things now in his most precious name. Amen. A few years ago, Cassie and myself were uh, travelling through Ireland when uh, we decided to take a detour to find a place called Ballydonellan, which uh, translated means place of Donellan, which I thought, well, that's got to be a pretty good place, don't you think? (laughs) And uh, it may even be my, my great ancestral homeland. So we set the destination on Google Maps and off we went, driving through the Irish countryside along narrow country lanes 
And the closer we got to the destination, the less interesting the scenery <laughs> became. Until eventually Google Maps uh, made its announcement to us, you have arrived at your destination. <laughs> and I looked around and I thought, there's nothing here. <clears throat> there's no buildings, there's no people, there's, there's not even a sign. It was just a paddock in the middle of nowhere, which you know, makes perfect sense to me, really, uh, because I mean, I wasn't expecting a castle or a you know, grand country manor. There was, because there's nothing flash about my background. There's nothing flash about my family, about my ancestors. They were just very, very ordinary people. But what if someone was from an important family? Let's take it to the extreme. What if someone was from a royal family? What would their ancestral home be like? You know, in Luke chapter 2, our passage today, if you want to have that open in front of you, a man and his wife embark on a journey. A journey which uh, these days by car would uh, take you about an hour and three quarters because it's 150 kilometres. But for them, it was... Much longer than that, it was a journey on foot, a journey along dusty roads from where they lived to visit the husband's ancestral home, a place called Bethlehem. Now, Joseph and Mary were in many ways just very ordinary people and Bethlehem was in many ways just a very ordinary little town. Yet in Bethlehem, a very special ancestor of Joseph had once been born, the one who would become king of Israel. And yet uh, the reason for this arduous journey was because a different kind of king now ruled over God's people. Not a Jewish king, but a Roman emperor who had issued a decree, a decree which the effect of was that it meant that Joseph and Mary had to make this difficult trip. Check it out in uh, verses 1 to 3. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Uh, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to his own town to register. Now, of course, the Roman Empire was the greatest empire that the world had ever seen. And uh, running an empire, it's expensive, it, um, it costs money, and uh, so actually this was all about taxation, you know, to, because to budget uh, how much tax revenue the Romans would receive, it was pretty helpful to know how many taxpayers they had in the empire. And hence a census of the entire Roman world. Now, Caesar Augustus was a, a very interesting character. Um, his original name was Octavius, but he was the, uh, uh, the great-grandnephew or something uh, of um, Julius Caesar, and uh, he became the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar, who was considered to be a god, and who anointed Augustus to be his successor. 
and Augustus was a very successful successor. He was a uh, renowned leader who ushered in a period, a very long period of peace in the Roman Empire, known as the Pax Romana. And he was honoured. He was honoured as being a saviour, the saviour of the whole world. So, think about that. Son of a God, a saviour, and the maker of, of peace. Which means that the historical detail which Luke has recorded for us here is not just about context, it's about contrast with another king and a humble birth. Because in verse 4, how is Joseph's ancestral town Bethlehem described? It's described as being the town of David. Uh, remember, uh, back in the Old Testament, who was the first king of Israel? It was King Saul. Uh, when God uh, wanted to replace King Saul, uh, to where did he send his prophet Nathan to find the new king? He sent him to, to Bethlehem and to a, to a little town called Bethlehem and to a small boy named David, a shepherd who would become king. And he was the ancestor of Joseph. Which means, in verse 4, that Joseph belonged to the house, that is the dynasty, and to the line of David. It was a royal dynasty to which Joseph's son would also belong. Now, last Sunday we saw that uh, although... Mary was a virgin that an angel had appeared to her and an angel had promised that she would conceive a child um, miraculously by the Holy Spirit and now, well, this is at least nine months later. Uh, we don't know for sure how long Mary and Joseph had been in Bethlehem but what we do know, and you know the story, that during their stay Mary went into labour and gave birth to her firstborn son. Now, <clears throat> cow sheds with their uh, straw and their stench are places where we might expect a cow to be born, but not a person, and certainly not a king. Yet in verse 7, Mary had to place her newborn in a manger, inside a feeding trough for cows, because a, a place where cows were kept was the only accommodation they could find in Bethlehem. I think somehow uh, we have managed to make nativity scenes look dignified. But there was no dignity here. This was undignified and lowly. Do you know what else? Uh, could be described as being undignified and lowly. Being a shepherd. You know, in those days, a, a shepherd <clears throat> may have been a man who owned a very small plot of land, perhaps enough to grow a few crops on, but not enough to support a family and not enough to pay taxes to Caesar. And so often these uh, would be men who would hire themselves out to look after somebody else's sheep. They were peasants. And in terms of the uh, social pyramid, they were 
They're right on the bottom of it. They're on the bottom of the social heap. And yet check out what happened that night in Bethlehem. Verse 9. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Now, um, in Luke's gospel so far, the angel has appeared to a few different people, hasn't he? Um, And whenever the angel appears to someone like Zechariah, uh, like Mary, and now like these shepherds, what's one of the first things that the angel has to say to the person to whom he's appearing? Do not be afraid. Do not be fair enough. Imagine these shepherds, they're out there having a, minding their own business. It's a quiet night in the fields outside of Bethlehem. They're just looking after these, these sheep and suddenly the sky lights up with the glory of the Lord. But this time, the calming down message of the angel is not that a baby will be born, but rather that a baby has been born. Verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people today. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favour rests. Now, there is an ancient um, inscription uh, which uh, talks about and describes Caesar Augustus. And it proclaims him as, and I quote, Divine Augustus Caesar, son of a god, commander of land and sea, the benefactor and saviour of the whole world. End of quote. Really? (laughs) Well, this angel has a different kind of proclamation. (laughs) That in the town of David, a saviour has been born... A saviour who is Lord, that is someone who rules over others and should rule our lives, he is Lord because he is also Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the anointed king of God. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, you might recall passages like 2 Samuel chapter 7 that King David wanted to build a a temple, a a house for God. And do you know what God said to that? Uh, He said, no, David, uh, actually, you won't build a house for me. Uh, In actual fact, David, I'm going to build a house for you. Uh, Not a home for him to live in, but, but a dynasty a dynasty, a line of royal successors and that one of David's descendants would actually sit on the throne of that kingdom and would rule that kingdom, that kingdom of God, not for a short time, 
but forever. And that, of course, uh, was the great hope of Jewish, of godly Jews. They had been praying for the fulfilment of this for hundreds of years, and now finally the promise is not that a child will be born, but that a child has been born, that that descendant has now been born. Uh, this, I'd, you'd have to say, is the most significant proclamation, the most significant announcement in history. And you may recall that when the, the, the angel had made promises to, to Zechariah and also to Mary, that um, he also gave him a sign, like a proof that what the promise was actually true. Do you remember the sign that was given to Zechariah? Zechariah said, give me a sign. He said, all right, you'll be mute. You won't be able to talk till the baby is born. You want a sign? There's your sign. And to Mary, she didn't ask for a sign, but, uh, well, Mary, uh, the angel said, the sign will be that your, 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 your relative Elizabeth has, uh, has now conceived. That would be a sign. What is the sign here? Check out the sign. Check out the proof that this angel gives in <clears throat> to prove this announcement that the most significant king in history has just been born. What is the sign? In verse 7, it is that when the shepherds go to Bethlehem, they would find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, lying in a feeding trough for cows. And you think, really? That's the sign? <laughs> why? I, I mean, why was this great announcement made in Bethlehem and not in Jerusalem? Uh, why was it made to shepherds and not to rulers and chief priests and why was this baby born in a cow shed and not a palace? What kind of sign is that? Well, it's a sign of what kind of saviour and king he was born to be. Here he was born amongst animals. 33 years later, he would die amongst criminals. Here he was wrapped in cloths and laid in a trough. <clears throat> in Luke 23, he was wrapped in cloths and laid in a tomb. What kind of saviour? Uh, one who brings peace on earth, uh, not through the victory of warfare, but through the victory of sacrifice, through the victory of the cross. As he paid for our sins so that we can be forgiven by God and be at peace, true peace, with our Creator. Shepherds, cowsheds, feeding troughs. It tells us a lot, doesn't it, about the character of God. I mean, uh, back in uh, Luke chapter 1, Mary sung a song to God and about God. And it was a song which expressed her joy, her joy that in the carrying of uh, the baby uh, that uh, God had not chosen uh, a, an important person or the daughter of a rich man, or, but rather that he had chosen her, a nobody, a nobody in the eyes of the world. <laughs> Just listen to one line that she wrote about God uh, when she said, 
uh, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. The census decree expressed Caesar's power, but this birth in a stable expressed God's kindness. That he identified not with the rich and the powerful, but with the poor and the lonely. Which, by the way, doesn't mean that rich and powerful people can't become Christians. <laughs> of, of course they can. Of course they can. In fact, uh, it was about, a, about 300 years later that uh, one of the a successor of Augustus, a Roman empire, emperor, um, Constantine, actually humbled himself and named Jesus as his king, as his emperor, as his lord. The issue here is humility. Seeing ourselves the way that God sees us as sinners needing forgiveness and trusting in Christ's death for us. And when you think about it, that really should change our lives, shouldn't it? And it should change our whole attitude in life so that we become more like Jesus, who, though he was God, though for all of eternity that he had enjoyed the, uh, the glories of heaven, that he humbled himself, that he became a man, born in a cowshed, to die on a cross for us. And uh, if that's <clears throat> his attitude toward us, towards you and me, then quite frankly, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever for us not to have that same attitude towards others, does it? Towards others. Uh, that we would live not for ourselves and not for uh, for our glory and not to be served, but rather that we would live for God and that we would love for others, that we would consider others as being better than ourselves, that we would humble ourselves for the sake of others. And <clears throat> I guess the question here is, you know, in your world, uh, your workplace, your family, your neighbourhood, your environment, in your little world and in mine... Who do you want to be like? Do you want to be like Caesar? Or do you want to be like Christ? You know, uh, when I arrived in my great ancestral homeland, Ballydonellan, I got out of the car, <clears throat> had a quick look around, and said, nah, there's nothing here. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Let's hit the road and head to Galway. But when the shepherds arrived in Bethlehem and found the sign, it changed their lives. Uh, verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. But the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. 
Now, how do we respond to the good news that was proclaimed that night? How do we respond to the good news of Jesus? Well, it's worthwhile looking at how the shepherds responded, isn't it? How did they respond? Well, they were told they spread the news and all who heard it were amazed. But who were these all who heard it? Who were all these people? I mean, it sounds like they were still in Bethlehem because in verse 20, they're told that they returned. Presumably they returned to their fields and their sheep. And note this, that um, they did on those fields exactly what the angels had done earlier that night. They praised and they glorified God. But who were these people in Bethlehem who heard about Jesus from the lips of the shepherds? All these people. I mean, were there other people who were gathered around in the, in the cowshed, not just Mary and Joseph? Were there family members? I mean, after all, this was actually Joseph's ancestral home. Or did the shepherds just go out and share the good news to strangers in the streets of Bethlehem? Doesn't say, does it? Doesn't matter either. Because we should want to share the good news about Jesus with everyone and with anyone. God shared his good news about Jesus first to lowly shepherds. Lowly shepherds, the bottom of the social heap who became the very first evangelists preaching the good news about Jesus. And then there is Mary. I mean, every mother um, treasures up the memories of uh, <clears throat> their firstborn baby, don't they? Treasure the, you treasure those up in your heart. But Mary treasured up what the angels said, that this one was not only her baby, but her saviour, Christ, the Lord. It's, of course, one thing to ponder these things in our head, but Mary pondered them in her heart. What about you? Do you treasure up Christ as your Lord and your Saviour? That's my question for you today. And as you ponder that, remember this, that his birth in a tiny town to a lowly woman in the stench of a cowshed speaks volumes. Volumes of not just how much we should treasure up Christ, but how much God in Christ treasures up you. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the, your incredible grace and your kindness uh, in uh, sending your son Jesus into this world. Uh, he who enjoyed for all of eternity the, the glories of, of heaven humbled himself and became a man for us. Father, we pray that each one of us would, um, would, would ponder that, would grasp that, would receive that. And Lord, that we wouldn't keep this news to ourselves, but you would help us to share the news just as the shepherds did on that night. That others too may name Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord forever. 
In his name we pray. Amen.